this is the first week of Advent. What is Advent? Advent, are, it's the four weeks leading up to Christmas where we sit in the reality of darkness. <laughs> and we, we do two things. There's tension at Advent. We believe that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. We feel this when we look at the news. We feel this when we look inside ourselves. And so we sit there in the dark, and we are real about that pain. At the same time, we sit on this side of the cross and resurrection. And so we sit looking for Jesus' second coming, believing he will come just like he did the first time. And so we both, we sit in the tension between the darkness and the light, the hurting and the hope. And so for these four weeks, we're going we're gonna to stand firmly on the reality that God cannot lie to you. He's made promises that he cannot break because his very nature won't allow him to. And this goes for every bit of pain and hurting that you're experiencing and every bit of hurting that people you love are experiencing. And so this is what hope is. We're grounding ourselves in hope, choosing to live our lives as though there is a God who cannot lie. How would you live differently? How would you live differently if you chose to believe Monday morning that God cannot lie to you? How would you live differently? And so that's what we're talking about for the next four weeks. And then we're gonna ramp up all the way to Christmas Eve. And I think we have a Christmas Eve slide just to get a visual on that. There it is, Christmas Eve, Tuesday the 24th, 6 p.m. right here. The light has come. We're literally gonna like light like candles, I think, if we can. Um, that's kind of the plan. We have a, a room. We're gonna end the gathering with everyone with their own light, which is kind of beautiful. I love that. I'm kind of cheesy that way, but um, I'm a huge fan. So, to, to, and we're gonna, so we're gonna hear from different voices in our community, a different voice kind of every week, which is beautiful. Um, and for this first Sunday of Advent, I have the privilege of introducing um, one of my dearest friends and one of your elders, Matthew Pursley. So, welcome, Matt. Right on. Thanks, guys. Wow, normally I'm looking at the back of your heads. You guys look good. It's a good, good-looking church. Um, yeah, I'm Matt. I'm the, like Evan said, uh, I'm the executive pastor here, um, and it's a, it's a real privilege to come talk to you guys about hope. I'm, it's kind of been a topic I've been obsessed with for a long time, and I love talking about it. It's a passion of mine. Um, and yeah, this is the first week of, of Advent. I, I'm really excited. Do you guys like Advent? Do you guys like Christmas? Like the holiday seasons? Yeah? It's the best time of the year. I, I love this time of the year. Like I said, I'm really passionate about this series of hope. Uh, as we lead up to Christmas. But before jumping in, I just want to take a minute because I was here this summer. I don't know if you guys were here. Uh, I did kind of an intro. What is hope? Uh, and so we learned about that together. And we learned that it's like anchored in the promises of God, just like Evan said. What if you believed God could not lie? Uh, that they are like really entirely trustworthy and true in him because of who he is. And because of this, you guys, we can actually be courageous. I talked about this last time. We can be courageous with forgiveness. For me, because of my hurting, being courageous with forgiveness was, was probably like the gateway into like what real Christian hope is for me, and it's changed my life. But we can also be courageous with other things, generosity, like our money and our time and our resources for the poor and the hurting. Uh, we talked all about that, and these are the things that drives our hope, that God's, God's promises are true in him. And it's because of God's promises uh, and because he never lies, and that's the reason we talk about hope in this way. That's the reason we're doing an entire series on hope. 
uh, I'm just so excited we're doing this. I've been looking forward to it for months, and now that it's here, I'm like kind of like living in it for a second. So um, I'm glad you guys can do that with me. Uh, but from the vantage point of Jesus' resurrection this summer, we saw that God is a God who keeps each one of his promises, and that now our whole life, from the very beginning all the way to the end, can really hang on the promise of God as being 100% trustworthy. Today is exciting because we get to look at this from another angle. I think for me this summer, I thought, man, what? there's no better way to talk about Christian hope than the resurrection. But if actually, if I had to come up with another Bible study to bring to you guys to talk about Christian hope, it would be this morning. Uh, because now we get this new vantage point of looking at Christian hope from the light of not Christ's resurrection, not his death and burial and resurrection, but from his birth, from how he incarnated the human body and, and God became a man to dwell with us. Um, uh, so in this, and it, it leads us to this question. Last, last time we talked about what hope is. And this morning, we're going to talk about it from this new angle. It's going to answer a different question. What does hope do? Right? It's that so what question. Why do I care? What do I actually do with hope? Hope can be this kind of vague platitude. But what is this actually supposed to look like in my life on the daily? And to do that, we're going to look at hope uh, from the vantage point of a pregnant teenage girl. And we've heard this story a hundred times, but it's just an incredibly powerful story. So turn in your Bibles to Luke 1. I think it's going to be up here behind me on the screen if you don't have one, and we're going to get to it. All right, Luke 1, starting in verse 39. There it is. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zacharias' home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary said... My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. You guys, this section of scripture, it's known as Mary's Magnificat, and it's really, it's one of the most famous literary poems in all of scripture. And all over the world, over these next few weeks leading up to Christian, this section of scripture, it's, it's going to be read uh, just over the family of God in like thousands of times and in thousands of places, which like in itself is pretty profound, right? Just to think about how powerful the impact of Christ's life has had on the world for 2,000 plus years that's still moving people and changing things. Um, but this morning here in this room, this is like our powerful moment, and I want you guys to open your hearts and step into it. This is our moment to wrestle with this song that Mary's saying. Um, this, this moment of worship that's pouring out of her heart as she's processing the reality that she's about to become the mother of the Savior of Israel. 
And what we're going to see is that God, God never failed Israel. His promises were true. God never forgot his promise. And that is why Mary worships. And that's, you guys, why we worship. That's why we sang earlier together. Uh, let's just look at these first two verses that we read together. Uh, Mary had just heard, she just heard an, from an angel, showed up in her room. And what does this angel tell Mary, you guys? You're pregnant, right? Yeah, Mary finds out she's pregnant with the promises, promised Savior of God. No pressure, you know? Like a 16-year-old girl who find out, hey, you're pregnant. Uh, you're not married. You're, in, you're living in, in, you know, foreign-occupied country. Uh, so she needs somebody. This is a really scary time for her. And I think we've probably all been here. Uh, I've been here more than once, right? You need somebody. You need to be loved. And so she needs support. And so she hurries, it says. She hurries. She goes to this godly older woman in her life, Elizabeth. And Mary was coming into Elizabeth's home, and the two of them, they break out in this like impromptu worship session, praising God for the promise that he, he was fulfilling in their lives. And you can hear all of that hope and all of that joy, can't you guys? When we read this song, you could hear that. Uh, they're so confident together in God's promises. And I love what Elizabeth, and she's like this, like, I like to think of Elizabeth as like this incredibly humble spiritual mother, really, to Mary. What she says in verse 45 about this young mom-to-be, she says, Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill all of his promises to her. You guys, when God's family hopes together, we can also celebrate together when he's faithful. Isn't that amazing? He sees her belief and trust in God, and it moves her to worship but this line really does describe the hope that Mary has. And we're going to see that all throughout her song. It's just like really apparent. We listen to Mary's Magnificat and really, we could, I think we could spend each of these four weeks if we really wanted to. We could spend each of these four weeks just going over how prophetic the song is about to be for the rest of the New Testament. Like there's hints of Paul, the Sermon on the Mount. You can hear like the apostles Peter and Luke and Matthew all th- just woven throughout this, this beautifully prophetic moment of worship that pours out of their life. Um, and just, just, these first couple of lines she sings, right? In, in verse 46 and 47, she says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Guys, when we think of Advent, we think of an angel coming to Mary. But the story of Advent and the meaning of Advent actually begins like much, much earlier. We see that is what Mary's song is really about. Mary knows her Hebrew Bible, and she understands that this baby is a promise of salvation that had been promised a long time ago. Advent was happening during these like 400 years between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and when the angel finally appeared in our story. Advent was going on. Advent was happening when Israel was under the occupation of Assyria. Advent was happening, happening while they were taken captive by Babylon. Advent was going on when they were enslaved under Egyptian pharaohs. Advent is just this like time of longing and suffering and waiting for God's promises to come true. It's this experience of living with expectation. I mean, we've all been there. We, we all understand that as hopeful human beings and as Christians. We've all lived in this time of experiencing longing, of experiencing waiting, of hoping for God. And that's what Israel's been doing. Mary understands this better than we can. And just look at her song. I mean, we would break this down a little bit. Her song of Advent, in verse 48, it's for the humble And in verse 50, it's for those who hold to God in fear or reverence from generation to generation. Hope is passed down. But then she says what it isn't. She says it's not for the proud. They'll be smattered in verse 51. It's not for rulers. 
in verse 52. And then she comes back. But again, in verse 53, it's the hunger, it's for the hungry who wait for their hope, not for the rich. You guys, this, is, this has been Israel for thousands of years. This has been God's people. Mary's song is for her people. The people of Abraham, as they came out from underneath slavery and silence and the waiting and longing for their hope to be delivered. For us, traditionally, yeah, we begin Advent as like this cultural springboard after Thanksgiving, right? Christmas is coming, get your shopping in, let's celebrate and bring in just like a wonderful season. But that doesn't really resemble Mary's song very well, if you think about it, does it? That's not what Mary's singing. Mary's not singing like, I'm really pumped for all the mall decorations, they're finally up. I'm excited for 50% off buy one, get one sales. No, she's saying for thousands of years we've been waiting. That's exactly why she praises God. He is being faithful. She and Elizabeth together are responding in worship. And Mary and Elizabeth know the promise of God had given to, had, know the promises God had given to their people. That there was one specific promise that went back through the prophets and through Moses and through Abraham. And this promise started all the way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And we need to look at that. Mary and Elizabeth both understood that this child in Mary's womb was this fulfillment of this like very, very ancient promise. So if you can, quickly turn to Genesis 3. It'll be above me as well if you want to read there. But it's here in Eden, you guys, that humanity had just sinned that this promise breaks in. Starting in verse 13 of Genesis 3. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed to you above all livestock and all wild animals, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Okay, now everybody listen to this. This is the promise. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. You guys, it's in these last moments before God would send Adam and Eve away from the garden that he gave Eve this like incredibly powerful promise of hope and salvation for all of humanity. It's really interesting. He gives this to Eve, specifically as the mother. This is not given to Adam. God had made Eve the mother of all human life, but as she's leaving the Garden of Eden, he gives her this final promise. God promises her that her own savior would come through one of her offspring, that this child would crush the head of sin and death and bring her and her family back into perfect union with God. This is the promise of Advent. This is the promise that God would intervene. Here in Genesis 3, God wants Israel to know a Savior will come. You guys, this is real hope. This is Christian hope. It's for our very real brokenness. This is, this is where hope broke into my life. I needed healed from brokenness. And God said, I will give you my hope. We are part of this story. This being cast out, yeah. But the real story of hope is being brought back. Our brokenness is real. You guys, this is why Tanika and why Phil will be preaching on Christian hope and how it heals and reverses this brokenness in our lives. This is really important. This is a really good topic to get stuck on. Look, I don't want to get too theological. If we're saved by faith, I don't, I don't want to oversimplify this, but I actually kind of believe this. Maybe it isn't oversimplifying. We are sanctified by hope. I mean, I, I'm really, I don't know if that's too simple. I'm really like more and more starting to believe that's how powerful Christian hope is in our life. But it, 
We weren't, we wasn't supposed to be broken like this, right? It wasn't supposed to be. God made a good world. He said everything is good. God doesn't want the world to have to find homes for asylum seekers. Amen? God doesn't want that. God doesn't want us to have to find rescue houses for battered women. Amen? God does not want that. God, God couldn't bear it. He chose to come back for us. He came back to live and to die and be resurrected to fix this mess and return us to himself as a part of his new humanity, as his family. Guys, this is the hope Eve carried within her as she fled the garden. That her offspring, her seed, would defeat sin and Satan. Well, uh, how'd that go? You guys know the story? At first, it looked pretty good, right? She gives birth to like two beautiful boys. I have two beautiful boys. I could not imagine what was about to happen to her and Adam. They believed that one of these descendants, right, Cain or Abel, one of the promised seed would be the promise of salvation. But what happens? Cain switches sides. I mean, what for, for a plot twist, that's not what you want to see, right? I was promised my salvation would come through my child, and he just de- betrayed me. Not only did he betray me, but he joined Satan and killed Eve's other offspring. I mean, what, what do you do with that? When your hope gets that destroyed and that delayed, I mean, I could not imagine being Adam or Eve in that moment, the despair that would set in. And so they wait, and they wait, and then they die. And then Noah comes along, and he waits, and he waits, and he dies. And then Abraham, and then Moses, you guys get the idea, and David, and Isaiah, and Malachi. You guys, this is Advent. If you guys feel this longing, you're feeling Advent. But then what happens, you guys? What happens in our story? An angel shows up in Mary's room and says, it's time. Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son call his name Jesus. Gosh, amen. Israel, you guys, had been pregnant with this hope for so long, but now it's time to give birth. It's time for all of their hope to actually be delivered to them. And this is why Mary sings. It's not among the mighty ones. It's not among the proud. It's not in the place palaces of rulers or the rich, but it's in a stable in Bethlehem. This like little Jewish family traveling in Galilee pregnant, registering for the census forced on them by like another foreign occupying army. And Jesus, you guys, is that promised child of God. He is the heir of Eve. He has come to fulfill all of God's promises and all of Israel's hopes. And so this is where we find ourselves today. We're on this side of it. We have become now the recipients of those ancient, ancient promises when we enter into the waters of baptism, which, like, fun fact, uh, very early Christian tradition here, this is like, sorry if I'm nerding out, very early Christian tradition, the reason our baptismals like this one are round is because they're supposed to represent a womb. Did you know that? That's pretty neat. They're supposed to represent a womb because they symbolize our rebirth. They symbolize that the church is now our spiritual mother, right? The church is the birthplace of the new humanity. It's the family of God. And we see that taught all throughout the New Testament, but it's really clear here. The church father Cyprian in the third century says this, like, just, he just says it. He says, you cannot have God for your father if you do not have the church for your mother. And this is exactly the application for us as part of this Christian family in 2019, this new humanity of God that is still at work making uh, and nurturing in the presence of the church as the mother. We're a part of that. We're joining that. The church is where we are re- reparented 
I love that word. The church is where we are reparented into God's new family to raise us into maturity. It's our job now that we have this hope to learn to be committed to a local community. That is why we have community groups. Because we want to be submitted to our community, our family of brothers and sisters that can hold us accountable for the purpose, right, that we serve God at our best as sons and daughters. That God has a good, beautiful family. We're being taught to care about the humble and the poor here in this space together one another, with one another. To go out to find those other children of God that are still waiting to be welcomed home. We see our place in God's family really clearly, you guys, all throughout the New Testament. But there's this one famous passage, and it makes it like so clear and beautiful that I just want to look at it together. It's Romans 8, 18 through 24. It says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage of decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You guys, that's us. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. I think that's my new favorite line in scripture. For in this hope, we are saved. This hope of salvation is supposed to be raised up. As Evan, Evan said, reparented in us. That is the hope of our salvation. It's meant to be taught and worked out and brought into maturity in the lives of each one of us as Christians. You guys, this is what we mean when we say community. We're just talking about being the family of God. A community of Jesus followers committed to worship God together. Committed to eating, breaking bread, and sharing life together. And to prayer. You guys, we are committed to prayer. Please join us Sunday mornings for pre-gathering prayer. Please join Scott Wednesday mornings for weekly prayer. We are committed to this as a community. And that's what this is all about. That's what Romans 8 was talking about. The groaning of a world waiting for us, God's children, to grow up to our potential, to grow up to the purpose Christ has for us, to get off the shelf and introduce the world to God's new creation. You are commissioned for that. You guys, I want to challenge us to own this role as spiritual family of hope. This is our challenge together. We are supposed to own our place as spiritual mothers and fathers, as spiritual brothers and sisters to one another. And that is what it means to actually pastor one another into the maturity of our hope. This is what the incarnation is about in the lives of New Testament believers. I love what Eugene Peterson, uh, he famously paraphrased John 1.14. Uh, just this is amazing. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. So Park Hill, what would it look like for you to bring this hope to your neighborhood? This is what we commit to as Jesus followers, isn't it? This is exactly how Paul encouraged the believers in 1 Thessalonians 1.3, telling the brothers and sisters why he, like a father, is so proud of them, saying it's because your work of faith 
and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we are called to as a community, and it puts flesh and blood to Christian hope. This is the letter you want to get from Paul if you're part of the early church. You want to hear Paul, like a dad, say that he sees that you have matured, you have grown, and that he knows that you're continuing in faith and love and in hope and at work for the kingdom of God. That your life is a light of mercy in this world. This really is for all of us. We don't have to be married. We don't have to be 40 years into the game to begin being a fully functioning part of God's family. No one is being left out here. And as we head into baptism, I want to close with Psalms 113. This very well may be the psalm that inspired Mary's Magnificat. It's very similar, and so I just want to read it. Uh, And we're going to pay really close attention to that last verse. It says this, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted above all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. Now listen to this. I love this. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Psalms 113.9. He sets the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. You guys, how does God do that in your life? Singles? or empty nesters, or maybe couples, you're waiting and hoping for a child. How does God fill your home with children while you wait? Through hope. If you open your homes and hearts with hospitality and kindness, I promise you, God will fill it. This is the story of Elizabeth to Mary. I don't know if you guys know this, but this is also the story of Paul to Titus and Timothy. You guys, this is what it means to be baptized into the church. It means that you get to be adopted into his family with all of these spiritual moms and dads and brothers and sisters around you. The church becomes your mother and teaches you how to grow up to honor God. That's beautiful. We are this family of God, mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters. We are in this together because Jesus has sent us his Holy Spirit and has given us new hearts, and we have been baptized into a new humanity. We are all together called children of God. We are all together called to grow strong in faith and in hope and in love. And this is happening right here at Park Hill. Uh, Just I want to tell you guys a quick story. Our children's pastor, Ariel Dorch. How many of you guys know Ariel? She's amazing. Uh, Who also happens to be single, uh, fellas, is such a good example of Psalms 113 in action. Please don't tell her I said that. Uh, She doesn't have any kids and yet, she has made her entire life, she moved across the country. I don't, you could, you'd have to like move to Seattle for her to move further in America to come join us. She doesn't have any kids, yet she has made her entire life available for just this kind of spiritual motherhood at Park Hill. And she recently told me about this like incredible conversation where she provided prayer and counsel and support for a parent who was wrestling with the maturity of their child. And Ariel's heart to make herself this like spiritual mother, it's creating the fruit of family all around her. And it's beautiful. And we're so thankful to have her. This is how hope works. And this is the so what. 
It's not just Ariel. So many of you are working and pouring out into the family of God here in community. I don't know if you guys were here last week, but did you guys see we kind of came up with a statistic. We added up, we kind of estimated how many hours you guys have served Park Hill this year. And then we found out what uh, volunteer time values at, what, what, it, what is its worth kind of nationally, what, what, would, what would they rate it? And we added it up together and we found out you guys have given $180,000 in volunteer hours to serve one another. I mean, well done, Park Hill. Yeah, give yourself a round of applause. That's amazing. And you guys, these hours are directly going into the growth and the maturity of our church. Not just the kids, though, yes, they certainly get a lot of that, a big chunk, but that time is invested in the maturity and the hope we have together in Christ. This is the promise of the gospel continuing to be fulfilled in us as a local church. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? The practical call of this is, is f- we put flesh and blood to hope, right? That we love one another that we learn from older women and from older men, from young men and from young women in the faith, that we honor the dignity of every man and every woman and every child, that we grow and we do everything we can to realize God's hope for us as his children, but not only for us, but also for the lost children, for the hurting mothers, for the estranged fathers, right, for the brokenness in this world. Because why? We all know this. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is why I'm so excited to hear from Tanika next week about hope for the hurting. That's why I'm really excited to hear about from Phil as he tells us about the hope for the poor and the vulnerable. And today, this morning, you guys, it's why I'm really excited to celebrate the hope of Advent with baptism as we welcome our new brothers and sisters into the family of God. I mean, are you guys excited for that? Yeah, I am excited too. Awesome. Well, that was it. We're going to pray. Evan's going to lead us in worship, and we're going to welcome people into the family. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for this hope we have in you that puts flesh and blood to the gospel, that makes us brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles, that binds us together. Amen. Bind us together, Lord. In your Thank name you we God. pray. Amen. Praise you, God.